the church. Again, uh, Peter, as you consider his exhortation, be mindful that as he speaks to the church that is gathered there, that he is the apostolic role model for his fellow elders. And then as the apostolic role model, he endears himself to them by saying, I am like you, though I be higher in rank within the church in terms of apostolic ministry. He, he, he warmly says to them, I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. And so as a fellow elder, he is calling upon the elders of the church to follow his example as a model, not simply as he is to them, but then also that they might be to all within the Christian community that is gathered there. The primary task, and we covered this a few weeks ago, when you think of what does it mean for an elder once again to be an example? Where does their life begin in the church that gathers? Peter says, the primary task of the calling of one who is an elder in the church is to be a faithful witness to the sufferings of Christ. That is the primary task. You see that early in the text. I exhort you, uh, as a fellow elder, and then if he speaks of his own sense of a witness of the sufferings of Christ, like, like they also will be in faithful ministry, and also as well as you, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That is, elders are to be men who as also Paul tells Timothy in the pastoral epistle, there must be men who preach the word of God. Paul telling Timothy, be ready in season and out of season, Timothy. Preach the word. As the primary task of an elder of your church, says he would preach the entirety of the counsel of the Word of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith reiterates this particular significance of the pastoral ministry. Saying this, our confession says, quote, Preaching the Word, being the power of God unto salvation, to any Christian who gathers on Lord's day and truly recognizes, for better or for worse, however the sermons go, they are sermons, that there's preaching that's taking place from the Word of God. So, the confession, this act, preaching the Word, being the power of God unto salvation, and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel, should be so performed that the workman may not be ashamed, but may save himself and those who hear him. So it is, as Peter tells the elders, I exhort you, be faithful witnesses of the sufferings of Christ. Be, Paul tells Timothy, gospel preachers. So it is that the elders of the church must grow, and hopefully we are, as Paul tells Timothy, grow in some manner that those who are with you might perceive that you've grown. That, that, that as 
you, you, you carry along with me, and I, and I with you, and the children's on the way, and you grant graces to me, and my mixed up and messed up, and, and, and my grammatical slander, anyone in here who understands grammar knows that keenly, but I with you and you with me, so that we can see, indeed, as a congregation, we grow in maturity through these things. And there's improvement as we're pilgrims on the way. But the elders of your church must be keen witnesses, both of the suffering and of the glory of Jesus Christ. And they must do this by consistently preaching the Bible in As we see in the text again, as he exhorts the elders, that shepherding the flock of God, as he calls them to do, from the preaching ministry extends into what he calls exercising oversight. Notice the text, verse 2 shepherd the flock. This is the work of the ministry, but the flock is gathered among you, and Peter is keen on this analogy because Christ speaking to him. I want you to feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. So it seems to Peter to use such an example. Shepherd the flock that is among you that are gathered there. And a part of that shepherding extends to exercising oversight. We mentioned a few weeks ago now. In the big picture, we think what does it mean for our elders here, the session at Redeemer, as a member in good standing, to receive of this ministry from them? What does it mean? in real measure that they exercise oversight in my life. Well, in the big picture, it simply means being pastoral present. I mentioned this to you, and I, I again, it, it's not a way to obfuscate or get around uh, what might be lacking, but it is, in, in, in these fairness, to the work of the ministry, it is a two-way relationship. It is They don't do that, they don't do this, they don't do that. And, and yet, if, if we listed, would we have access or knowledge to those things? And, and many times, the session says we did not. We did not. Indeed, the ministers are to be active in exercising oversight as an extension of the preaching of the Word. But together, congregants and ministers must be in position and proximity to one another in order that the minister might truly exercise some measure of meaningful oversight. So it is, as our as the session here at Redeemer, we gather once a month. And we have a section within the minutes to talk about congregational correspondence, correspondence and visitation. To anyone since we talked last month. What was the content of the conversation? How are they doing? What are their prayer requests? But even to be invited in or to have access and to be in position and proximity to church members in order that your session might know and pray and have regard to exercise oversight over you, we must share with you and you with us a measure of meaningful openness. Indeed, that we might hear the preaching of the word and beyond. Teach the 
included it in the rush, thereby emphasizing Luther. Luther has an interesting comment on this issue of exercising oversight as a minister. He comments this way in regard to preaching as primary, so this is the primary work of the ministry, that, that your elder, that your minister would preach to you the full counsel of the Word of God. When you show up on Lord's Day, you show up and fully expectantly that, that your minister would preach the Bible to you. But he adds, but again, the preaching must extend into oversight. Or you'll fail even after the preaching. Luther says this, quote, Even if I, as minister, preach in the right way, and I stand and speak the speech, this protecting and guarding does not suffice to keep the wolves from coming and eating astray. For what is built if I lay stones and watch someone else knock them down? The wolf can surely let the sheep have good pasture. In fact, the fatter they are, the more he likes them. But he cannot bear the hostile darkness of the dead. Therefore, to him who takes this charge to heart, it is important to One of the ways that um, I mentioned to you already in our section here for readings in the section of uh, community correspondence uh, and discussing follow-up education, etc., is I just wanted to mention to you a couple of the ways when you think of the New Testament church that we have here gathered at the University of Texas Chapel of Edward Warren, what is exercising oversight? Just a little bit further picture um, is our prayer team. So the congregation here at Redeemer, in terms of exercising oversight, the congregation is divided up over the uh, number of members of session. And each is given the task to pray for these people on their list over that quarter. Uh, request our chairs. Uh, and then at the end of the quarter, as we engage with you and have conversations here and there and take notes and try to remember to jot down, and then they're exchanged at the next quarter. So, so I have a, a, a group of folks I'm praying for within this congregation for this quarter. And in fact, we might even move beyond quarter months. I can't remember where we went a little bit further in the quarter months. I think it's whatever it is. We get together and we exchange them again. And at that point in time, we exchange them, we update the prayer request. Oh, you can drop this one on. 
Because the revolution is really important. And, and, and so we exchange speeches and stuff. Well, what is that? But practicing over time. But how will we know how to pray if we don't receive, request, an honest sharing of I'm needing prayer? How might we pray for you? It is an element of our desire to practice over time. Again, another element would be follow-up conversation. This is all a little bit odd to me. It's always been a little bit odd to me because of the aspect of being a preaching minister. Is to ask how the sermons are about you. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, you know, I'm looking for the highlights, not the lowlights. So, so uh, you know, in a, in a quick ten-minute conversation before you go, how did you feel about this morning? How did it strike you? How deeply are you praying? And, and it's not exactly that. How did I do? But there is a meaningful measure where your elders ought to be seeking the fruit of the preached word in your life. But what is it fruit? You say, well, it kind of feels like a Latin death in Africa. I'm lost. I'm this, this, this. Okay, all right. Well, let, let, let's work on that. Let's, let's talk about that. What's going on? What are the changes, the growth in character and virtue? Have you found anything particularly helpful with leverage in the helping you fight sin and temptation that you're so easily entangled? Anything in the last few months? Well, there was this particular moment in First Peter. Well, it was interesting to me how pray. Pray. Another element for exercising oversight is when we come to the table. That's the portion that, again, you're well aware of, but I would just say it's another concrete example of your elders exercising oversight over the congregation that you're helping to find. It's called dispensing the table. That takes place each and every time as you move to the table. Exercising oversight. How? By dispensing, letting you know the prescriptions for your participation in this meal. We always work through the passage that's given us in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 10 and 11. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and gave half the crown and broke it and said, These are his words. Add to such a meal. Let a man examine it. So also your session to you as we approach the table. That's why we do it. It's to exercise oversight. To draw you back to attention. That you might through faith truly receive of the fruit of this table on your behalf. This is the work of an elder. Properly. And as you're shepherding them, exercise meaningful oversight. Peter immediately addresses them as he moves beyond the exercising of oversight and the extension of the preaching of the word. He addresses the way in which elders are the shepherd and exercise the oversight. Notice how he describes the manner of what they ought to do and what they ought not to do in verse 2. As you're shepherding those who are gathered under your charge, which would be your membership, exercise oversight. Now, in the manner of exercise, anyone who is going to exercise must not do it how? Under compulsion. But he ought to do it now, again, men who are pursuing the office of elder, young, aspiring seminarians, or men later in life who are transitioning through the church to pursue the life of 
ownership or ministry. They are to avoid serving the church from compulsion. Only to serve the church from a capacity of a willing spirit. If we were to summarize to avoid compulsion in service and pursue it willingly, we would simply say this about this session, about members who serve as elders. Men are to be inclined Forward serving in the office of elders and are to consider the word a positive and fruitful Paul also, as you mentioned, as you think of it in the pastoral epistles, first Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus, Timothy uh, 3 1, Paul says this about the young man or the young men pursuing ministry. He says this quote, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Do you see how he formulates his thinking about, then he moves into, here are the qualifications for that individual task. But why are we considering the qualifications for those tasks? Only because first things or the desire for such a task, men should not be rushed ahead and pushed into The question comes up necessarily as Peter says this, he says, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, and in that, not under compulsion. Don't do it that way, but do it willingly. The question necessarily arises. How do we, the Church of Christ, as we continue on in our ministry, certainly for years and years to come, how do we conceive of it now? How do we, the Church, positively promote and ensure willing service of elders? This is clearly what we must do when Peter says, do not allow it to be under force of compulsion spirit. Well then, how will we continue? How will the Church positively promote and ensure willing service among How do we promote the one who desires the office and avoid pressure for any number of reasons the one who does um, I, I think of that in most candid form uh, for me in trying to flesh this out biblically in my own life it, it is as a minister to not force my young men Home, but it's not just to me, it's to all of us to church together as we consider our men, uh, our men. Um, but, but not to say, oh, you have to do this. Uh, Dad's this. You need to do that. And then before you know it, there's blended motions to please God and also to do a noble task. And before you know it, they're in seminary and then they're in a church and they're like, I'm leaving. And one day they walk out and never go back. Uh, what happened? I thought you loved this. For any number of reasons, if you go back to the first century context, and this will make perhaps even more sense outside of this minister to his son's context, but in the first century context, why would Peter have said, hey, they can't, they don't have them do it by compulsion, but willingly? Why? 
Well, again, it would make more sense if we're thinking the cost and suffering was so more obvious attached to the author that man would push through it by compulsion. You should serve as my servant. You should be a member of my second ancestral soul. But again, the cost and suffering was much more obvious for men to avoid the Suffering throughout the, the epistle that he writes, suffering, 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 suffering. The New Testament characters would be suffering. If it was a call to go, that would be one thing. If it was called already, he covered that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's difficult in this community. They're being isolated, they're, they're, being, they're, they're, they're being marginalized, and we can even push it and say, indeed, there's measure of meaningful persecution being endured. So to attend with one thing, but to be a member of that, to be an elder. We're a congregation of 75, 90 people. We need four ruling elders to serve. You know, when you're a newcomer, you know, it's looking down. Because attached to that office is not immediately It's much more difficult. It means greater persecution, greater marginalization, greater isolation, more cost for my community. So Peter adds, the wisdom in serving is to avoid serving something when we force into it. And others ought not to perform that to someone in Christ, because they themselves are not worthy. You know, somebody needs to do it. You know what? You're very talented. You're very good at that. I can memorize ten verses of a yoga program. I could never do that. You should do it. You'd make a great elder. Push, 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 avoid, avoid, avoid. Again, compulsion can come from different avenues. In our house, we always feel that when there's something that's obviously needing to be done, and I don't want to do it, it leads to you to do it. But you're just not worthy. I understand, vice versa, Adam and you, and all that, but you're just not worthy. Um, it's the same thing, it's the same thing in eldership. Uh, I don't want to take the responsibility, I don't want to be on the hook for the maturity of the church. I, I don't want to one meeting a quarter for three and a half hours. I don't want to be concerned with the maturity and keeping the fruit in the body. I don't want to be a part of having awkward conversations. It's just not my thing. I don't want to be a part of guiding the church forward because what if it goes left or backwards? I don't want to be on it. In fact, you should do it. You're just so good at it. can we promote them and then feel willing service outside of compulsion? What are the answers to this? We will notice very well as a participant in the church of Christ. Elders are never to be imposed upon by the church. Again, that would be one way of making sure they don't serve in compulsion by another. But if that comes and says, you need to do this, and it's like, I just don't feel it, and you're going to do this. And feel some weird, guilty way to serve as a ruling elder in the church. They should never be imposed upon a congregation. Or another minister somewhere else is like, hey, 
about a guy who's really talented and good, and then a church locally seeking to minister, and they say, well, what are we not going to have him here? And the, another minister says, well, yes, you are, he's very good, you'll like Again, elders are never to be imposed upon a congregation to compel one to serve the church in this capacity is wrong. And you know the outcome of that. It would be poor for even corrupt church in the end. So then how do we, if, if, if an elder is not to be imposed on a congregation, and that helps us avoid compelling someone to serve rather than doing it, how can a church grow with accession or welcome new members in? That's exactly it. A church is to invite elders into service by the vote of the congregation over which they will serve. And this is an important part of policy because it could lead to abuse of power. It eliminates the elders and starts to serve. A congregation is to get to know the individual or to get the member from within, and then they are able to then vote on the I want this guy serving. And I think he'll be a fine guy. And I know about him. We actually have been to his home or we had conversations with him. And you spread that knowledge out across the congregation. And that way you ensure that there is not a single session It's the power of the local congregation. Men are to be invited, not imposed, but invited into service by the vote of that congregation congregational voting is one important mechanism which the most willing citizen can take to afford to bless the church. This is also, as we think of how did we arrive here? I don't see voting in the Bible. It's by good reason in order to, again, in any sense, biblically steward it. It's a Reformation principle also. We think of the Belgian Confession. We studied that in Calvin Club. For a few months, the Belgian Confession, Article 30, says this: "All Reformation principles and how do we submit elders in churches without compelling them to do so, but willingly, in order that they stewards and bless their service in the congregation, both for themselves and for the future of the church." How can we do this? The answer to Belgian Confession, Article 30, says this: "We believe that ministers of God's grace, elders and deacons, ought to be chosen to their offices." lawful election of the church with prayer and in good order as stipulated by the Greek Church. Again, congregation, I think it's important to take the time to think about for a few moments how important voting to a church is. It is that aspect where you pledge, I want this guy, this man, for my good. And because I'm voting that this man would minister here for my good, I also will support him in the past. And a part of that support is getting to know him. So that he and they, the session, can use me for my good, biblically ordained and by the full exercise of the Further, Peter adds the way of proper service. Notice, again, he adds yet another disclaimer. Don't be compelled by someone from without, but serve willingly. This is as God would have you do it. And then he adds, not for what? Shameful gain. Then do it gladly. But do it sincerely. 
you think of gain here in the text, you see shameful is here added to the concept of gain in the ministry in order to distinguish two types or kinds of activities. Once again, you remember, again, to Paul's words to Timothy, if any man desires the office, this is no case of the desire to do so. He does desire a noble thing. Ministry is indeed noble. Verse 4, there are gains and then there are shameful gains. Look at verse 4 where he says, Indeed, it's a noble task, and, 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 and you'll be a partaker of the glory to be revealed. In fact, if you can serve, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gains, gains indeed, but not shameful ones, serve eagerly. Don't domineer. Be an example. Motivational good. When the chief shepherd appears, it's noble task. When the chief shepherd appears, we will see the unfading conflict. That is a motivation for me. That you would be found faithful. And you would live up in some measure of Those who seek shameful gain are men who look for the war from the shame. And there's numerous ways to do that. Sometimes ministers hide behind
so if ministry can lead their way from gaining proper motivators like verse 4, they can lead their way and find themselves seeking change again. We all can, right? All of us can seek and set up a life to seek change again. If I can encourage you to consider your own life in light of change in life, and I can see it in my own life as a minister, and as this scattered country, it's just in the face. How do I set up my life to avoid being drawn in to change in life? I would encourage you with this kind of encouragement. Consider investing your time in things that can be built. In contact with things that can be built. You see, um, you can't buy Bible knowledge. You have to read it. You can't buy virtue. You have to build it. You can't buy a good marriage. You have to build it. You can't buy godliness. You have to seek to build it. That won't be a brother that will help us stand on spiritual ground and avoid change again by seeking freedom but there are things that can be built and can't be bought. Whether you're in ministry or not, seek to build and not buy. You avoid many things. You need to build Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help and be blessings to your word that you will help us to behave. Not gain, but to be a blessing, but change us. Driven on by greed, popularity, desire, arrogance. The corrupting influences of the flesh will prove their destruction and change to ourselves and to others. Help us in the ministry here at Redeemer to be driven on by God's redemption seeing the fruit of the people who are incarnation, looking forward to your return, knowing we were under shepherds and we passed away, that our hearts have that deep thought to know that we're not. Lord, help us to 